the world to see is in San Francisco where there are no homeless people. They wanted the homeless to move out of San Francisco before the Super Bowl. And I think it's important for the world to know that not only are the homeless not leaving San Francisco, but the people that we are talking about are human beings who deserve respect and who should be treated with dignity. We don't mind spending this kind of money to have a party for billionaires and five million of local government funding. We don't mind the fact that the federal government cut $50 billion in affordable housing funding, which is what created homelessness this time around. You know, we mind the fact that people are sleeping in the streets in my neighborhood, and isn't that disgusting? What's disgusting is people are being forced to sleep in the streets and neighborhoods, not the people themselves. This is that as we've gotten closer to the Super Bowl, all the main arteries, the freeways coming into the city, the encampments surrounding those have been cleared out. Um, we've been seeing homeless people getting a lot of threats. They got to move or they're going to get their property confiscated. We've been seeing the property confiscations, the tickets, the arresting, the illegal search of property, um, all of that. It's gotten very intensified leading up to the Super Bowl. People are really fed up. They're seeing this, you know, diamond-studded number 50 golden letters um, Super Bowl thing and all this city money being thrown towards it. And then they're seeing people who are suffering in the middle of, you know, our, our El Nino storms and just the disparity. The visuals are just really intense. So um, I think the media's picked up on that. The public's picked up on it. And, and we, we've just seen a huge, a huge pushback. And hopefully uh, we end up you know, taking this energy onward and force the mayor to give us a sustained commitment to end homelessness in San Francisco because that's what we need. Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Review. Uh, we just heard some interviews. Probably was a big protest that happened on Wednesday, this past Wednesday. There was a huge turnout, which was wonderful. And uh, we heard from Paul Bowden, David Campos, Jennifer Friedenbach. And it was great to see so many people uh, there were folks carrying tents and signs, and it was by the Embarcadero. And it was very uplifting to see so many people together uh, for this 
Cause, which has, of course, been going on for a long time. It's the Weekly Review. Opened up the show with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, Maurice White, one of the founding members, uh, passed away, I believe, yesterday. So I wanted to open up the show with some of his music. Today on the show, we have a guest coming in that I'm very excited to to talk with, and that is Zarina Zabriskie. And we're very excited to have her on the show. She'll be interviewing Pussy Riot uh, this coming Wednesday at the Warfield. So that'll be an awesome conversation. So folks should definitely check that out. And yeah, I guess we should get started with with the news. And there's been a lot of things to be upset about. I've been talking to people and I've had, there's a, when Molly and I started the show maybe two years ago, the the original tagline is, uh, the news is depressing and sometimes we play music. And that seems to still be true. I've talked to some folks throughout the years, and the the word depressing comes up a bit. Like, oh, I I try to listen, and it just ends up being too depressing. And I, I recognize that. So I have in no way intending to step away from that. I would love to do a show that's super fun and happy and makes people laugh and smile. And I think there maybe are some points in some episodes where that, that can happen. Uh, however... That's just not where I'm at. And uh, there's a lot of other shows that make people laugh and smile and think that things are great. However, I feel that it's beneficial to use some time to, to just call out what's going on and to bring attention to, to topics that other folks or some folks may not want to think about. And I get it. The, the month I was not doing the show, I was really not that depressed. I was in really good spirits. I was feeling great. I was feeling relaxed. Uh, I, I can't say I didn't have a care in the world. I still was, you know, I'm an anxious person. I still worried about certain things in the world. But I definitely felt a, a lot like a weight had been lifted. And uh, so there, I just wanted to, to recognize that. And I doing the show makes it forces me to read the news and I would rather not read the news. I would rather not know what's going on to an extent because I feel that would make me a little bit happier and a little bit more relaxed and maybe have more faith in humanity. I still have, I have enough faith in humanity that I get up every day and walk out the door. So there's, there's something there. Uh, the thing I like about it though is finding patterns and what's going on in, in behavior. And we'll be talking about that today with patterns in governments uh, across the world and how people activists can speak up and challenge that so i think that's hopeful and finding ways to combat the inequality that that exists in our world and even just by giving that voice and giving people a chance to speak about it and to speak their truth is at least a step in the right direction so it might not be full of giggles i don't think there have really been very many giggles on this show uh there is at least perhaps offering some hope and maybe I think not necessarily sometimes uh, when one asks questions there are some answers but then that leads into even more questions and if there were a lot of simple answers then things would be a lot easier and the way the systems that are in place and just things are set up it doesn't make it really easy for people to live authentic lives for people to live honest lives and for people to live carefree lives and I think it it is possible uh, we just need to to change things around a bit and change behaviors and hold people in power who abuse their power accountable. That's been a recurring theme here. I talk about it all the time. 
there's been talk of getting the governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, to resign and to step down since he knowingly was behind the high levels of lead in the water there. And he was in a, a restaurant in Ann Arbor. I read this recently. And some like he was like heckled by a fellow customer. Someone came up to him and was like, hey, is your is your water clean? Are you drinking it? Are you enjoying it? Something along those lines. And that's uh, it's one step in the right direction is to, I think this guy deserves worse than that, obviously. However, to at least begin to hold these people accountable, people in positions of power who fuck with the, with the, with the citizens, uh, the very least we can do is start picking at them and pointing at them and uh, calling them out on their shit and holding them accountable for their behavior. Because uh, if that had happened long ago, like if that were like a constant thing, I think about in Iceland, they just, I think they rested their 29th banker uh, today or very recently who was in charge of the, the, the banking crisis. And there's a call. Who will it be? Will it be Gail? Will it be Zarina? Let's see. Hello? Hey, 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 what are you doing over there? Oh, hi, Gail. <laughs> hey, so are you going to play and let me get on the air and have some fun or not? Oh, uh, well, I was just saying that we could use some more fun on the show. Right oh, now, I'm what's talking... Oh, that? that time for it? Uh, I've got one minute for it. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. We're, we're looking for ways to hold what people... What now? We're looking for ways to hold people in positions of... Oh, I can't of... quite catch you. What, what is that? Speak up. We're looking for ways to hold people in positions of authority accountable for their misbehavior. Cutting out a little bit, Gail. But um, thank you for. Okay. And there we go. And that's that's uh, getting a lot of a lot of phone calls here at the station. Good times. A lot of a lot of active listeners. So, uh, getting back to my rant. Oh yeah, Iceland. They arrested. They've been arresting the bankers for their misbehavior. And imagine if that were the case here in the states, uh, where instead the bankers have been getting bonuses. Just an idea, something that could be cool. Um, also, there's been a lot of there is a lot of hubbub. There's this there's a whole dude who is talking about wanting to legalize rape on private property. So there's been a total shitstorm in reaction to that, and there is a, a Toronto boxing league, like all female boxers, who were like, um, "Yeah, we're gonna kick your ass, pretty much," and we encourage all women to do the same because this guy was on his website. Um, he was like organizing events around the country and around the world and they, he canceled them because he got scared because he was getting death threats and th that story ends right there. Although they also, he, so he was, he was, a lot of people were like upset about this as, as we should be. And he, he started getting death threats and people were like, fuck you. What, what are you doing? This is terrible. And, and he's been outspoken about this for a long time and so he called the police because he was afraid of being attacked, and the the I guess media or some people came to came and found out he was like living in his mother's basement. Um, so which I think is a that puts a bad name to everyone who is um, who lives with in their mother's basement. Like there's nothing wrong with that. However, the this the, this guy who's like all about hating women and everything. Meanwhile, he's 
his mom is putting him up. It's like, all right, dude. Ugh. So jokes on him and perhaps others like him who speak violently uh, can shut the fuck up. I'll just end it there. So yeah, it was very, I was happy to see the, the female boxers uh, kind of stand up for that. And uh, uh, that's, I was, when Molly was on the show, I was always talking about like this, a, a woman led revolution. And the, the idea behind that is, is, is more for uh, the people who are dicks to be silenced and for women not to be afraid to, to fight them and to shut them up. So obviously it'd be great if we don't have to get to violence at all. However, if it does, I totally support women beating the shit out of asshole men. And I will stand behind that for a while. So getting on to some more, um, more news stories. I've been posting a little bit less. I've been trying to get off Facebook for a while. I was off Facebook for a while and, um, uh, it hasn't seemed to work. It hasn't seemed to work. Uh, so, but I do have some good posts here to read. One is a quote I enjoy very much. If it's inaccessible to the poor, it's neither radical nor revolutionary, which is something to think about when folks create spaces and places for people to go. Um, making it as accessible as possible to people, I think, is the best thing that one can do. Um, I'm going to play some, uh, I'm going to just play some videos of activists saying things that uh, I believe deserve to be heard. And then we'll be back with some more. So I have a question for you. Are you none or are you anti? Several months ago, in response to Ferguson, Baltimore, the killings of Freddie Gray and Tamir Rice, my friend Caitlin put up a Facebook post breaking down the difference between non-racism and anti-racism. Most of us are non-racist. Because racism is looked upon as some moral lapse, we feel quite self-assured by simply not being racist. I'm not a bigot. I don't sing that N-worm when my favorite rap jam comes on. I didn't vote for that guy. I'm not burning any crosses. I'm not a skinhead. I don't. I won't. I'm not. I've never. I can't. What you end up with is an entire moral stance, an entire code for living your life and dealing with all the injustice in the world by not doing a damn thing. That's the great thing about none. You can pull it off by simply rolling over in your bed and going to sleep. So why are you sitting at home and watching things unfold on TV instead of doing something about it? Because you're a non-racist, not an anti-racist. Now do this for me. Take the C out of racist and replace it with a P. I'm not a rapist. I'm not friends with any rapist. I didn't buy that rapist last album all these things that you're not doing. Meanwhile, people are still getting raped and black boys are being killed. It's not enough that you don't do these things. You're going to bed with a clear conscience is not going to stop college students from getting assaulted. You thinking climate change is terrible is not gonna stop climate change. You being so assured that you're not anti-black, anti-Muslim won't stop the next hate crime. And it's wonderful that you recognize how brave gay people are when facing persecution but they aren't the ones who need to be brave. We need to get active. We need to hold people accountable. We need to accept that what hurts one of us hurts all of us. And we need to stop thinking that injustice going on in the world isn't to an extent our fault. We need to stop being none and start being anti. So, yeah, I think that says it uh, quite 
quite well. Um, looking so I have to a for you. some more more things to to talk about, and there is there is plenty more uh, going on. Uh, ooh, this is something I haven't looked at for a while. There is one, um, the secret government uh, rule book for labeling you a terrorist. This was from December of 2014. You could find that on the Weekly Review webpage. And yeah, there's going to be some more protests going on. There's going to be one this Saturday, and I'll talk more about that in a little bit. I've been uh, haven't been posting too much on Facebook, as I as I mentioned. I am going to read uh, an article that Zarina wrote, and that will prepare us for the conversation we're going to have. So this is called "The Splendors and Miseries of Mythologies," and it starts off with a quote: "Fascism does not only silence people, but also forces them to speak." That was from Bartha. A man walks into the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia, undresses, climbs into a 2,000-year-old Roman tomb, and begins rubbing himself with a soaped sponge. He washes the symbols of the ruling party, United Russia, off his body. The action is video recorded. He is detained by police, then released. Hooliganism, a slap in the face of academic art, actionism, Another one of those Pussy Riot-style punk rituals? What is it? According to the artists, Unwashed Russia, performed by Oleg Basov and Irina Demutskaya uh, of the art collective Blue Rider in September 2013, symbolized the need to wash Russia from the filth and dirt of the past. Pretty straightforward. Now, according to Roland Bartha, a French literary theorist, philosopher, and linguist, material objects, like a Roman tomb and sponge, become myth in the process of discourse. In mythologies, he shows how objects conveyed and replicated by any type of social discourse, such as written word, photography, film, reporting, sport, shows publicly, shows uh, publicity, lose their realness. Um, they turn into messages. They form a system of communication. This system is used by the social system as a power tool. In this article, I look at monuments, mummies, rituals, modern sculpture, installation, street activism, actions, and even the artists and rulers themselves. It is breathtaking. If you watch carefully, they transform into the raw materials for the meat grinder of myth-making. As I have shown in my previous article on the subject, Scandal, Insanity, Art Language, the infamous punk prayer is a perfect example of mythical speech. Um, here I will use the actions and performances of the art collective Blue Rider, a group that was active in St. Petersburg and Moscow in 2013 to 2014. Due to the draconian laws and threats to, to artists' safety and freedom, a lot of the Blue Rider members had to flee Russia and now seek political asylum in Germany, USA, and elsewhere. Pussy Riot, Voina, Blue Riders are the product of the same epoch and system and speak the same insanity art language. Power, opposition, oppression, resistance, national identity, God, faith. These concepts are reproduced in various forms and in multitude. The repetition becomes a mechanism of myth-making, critical for the survival and thriving of the existing system. The system uses modern version of ideology and organized social myth to replicate signs and images that do not connect or relate to the reality. Just take a good look at the images above. And they have some photos here. Uh, this is posted on the Weekly Review page but rather uh, overwhelm and govern it by the principle of confusion. 
These signs cover the absence of substance. It's their main function, in contrast with the classic Marxist ideology that distorts or masks the reality. The modern ideology or similo simulacrology creates self-referential visual and verbal clusterfuck discourse. And they have an M.C. Escher drawing. It is neither the world of the distorted mirrors reflecting real objects, nor Plato's allegory of the cave. The mirror labyrinth reflects itself and shields the emptiness that is reality. A ghost paints its own shadow in the mirror. The ghost does not have a reflection. Its shadow does not exist. The mirror is nothing but a silver screen. But by faking presence, the non-being simulates its existence. The concept is cave-old, but here is the twist. Driven by a sole intention to maintain its status quo, the matrix-like world turns to simulacrology for conjuring objects, actions, emotions, and interactions that never existed in the first place and gives birth to a shadowy, stillborn, mirrored web of antimatter. A theater of absurd? The only way out of this modern nightmare, in my opinion, is through performing the shamanic ritual of the art that creates its own model of life and breaks the myth by using its own mythology. And they have some more photos here. And now back to our half-naked artist in the Hermitage. In the arc of the Russian culture and a symbol of the Tsarist power and the grandeur of the Russian Empire... He climbs into the Russian tomb, the Roman tomb in the hallway between the Egyptian art room and Roman gallery into the dusty symbol of death and immortality at once. And also by association, the Pharaoh's power below is a video of un of the unwashed Russia action. Let's listen to it. There's a person walking upstairs in a large building. There's a person walking behind that person. And the person takes off his pants, not wearing any shoes or socks. Takes off the shirt, has a tattoo on the back. Oh, leaves the underwear on. Gets in the tomb. Oh, takes something out of his underwear. There's a hat on. Oh, it's the it's the soap. And is now washing the body with that. And scrubbing the body uh, with that. Also wearing a hat. People are there taking photos. And other than that, it's not too crowded. Uh, he holds a sponge and a cake of soap. These simple tools of cleansing. The absent corpse lends an additional meaning to the tomb. And now, did you watch the video? The artist's naked body, adorned by the symbol, the, by the emblem of a political party, becomes an object of art. It personifies Russia. It takes the place of the emblem of the embalmed, everlasting body of the missing dead ruler. person gets out of the tomb and is putting the pants back on. All right. And moving onwards. In the interview with Radio Svoboda, Svoboda, Irina 
Dumitskaya noted that the act of washing performed with the foamed sponge transformed the ancient work of art from an everyday object in a reverse quote of Duchamp's urinal conver- con- conversion into an art object. This parallel highlights the fluidity of both the meaning and the form, especially instrumental in myth-making, according to Barth. Uh, Dumitskaya pointed out that the desacralization of a tomb was a pivotal concept as Blue Rider aims to demythify objects by destroying the certain pathos acquired in the process of social discourse. By debunking the mythical speech, the art returns the meaning of the object stolen from it by the myth and strips its fake form. The society is controlled by the myths, and inevitably, artists integrate the myths internalize them, become susceptible to mythology on an unconscious level. By performing their ritualistic cleansing in a buffoonish manner, the artist washes off the death of the meaning and thus achieves revival on many levels. According to Bartha, the best weapon against myth is perhaps to mythify it, to produce an artificial myth, and thus reconstruct the reality, or maybe, in this case, cleanse it from the dust of the history. And they have a picture of Lenin's mummy in mausoleum. One of the most scandalous objects in the Soviet Soviet mythology is the mummy of Lenin stored in mausoleum on the red square in front of the Kremlin, the headquarters and symbol of the Russian Federation government and state. I wrote quite a bit about this creepy phenomenon. Technically, the meaning of the mummy has already been devalued. In 1953, upon Stalin's death, mummies doubled in this sacred space. Stalin's embalmed body was briefly installed and then quickly removed in 1956 on Khrushchev's order. Now, for the nerds among us, a quote from Bartha. He refers to the Stalin myth in mythologies by describing it as defined by socialism itself. Stalin, as a, spoke, as a spoken object, has exhibited for years in their pure state the constituent characters of mythical speech, a meaning which was the real Stalin, that of history, a signifier, which was the ritual invocation to Stalin and the inevitable character of the natural epithets with which his name was surrounded, a signified which was the intention to respect orthodoxy, discipline, and unity, appropriated by the communist parties to a definite situation and a signification which was a uh, sanctified stalin whose historical determinants found themselves grounded in nature uh, sublimated under the name of genius that is something irrational and inexpressible here depolitization is evident a it fully reveals the presence of a myth it is remarkable that khrushchevism uh presented itself not as a political change, but essentially and only as a linguistic conversion. An incomplete con- uh, conversion, incidentally, for Khrushchev's uh, devalued Stalin, but did not explain him, did not uh, re- re-politicize him. Silence. The absence of s- open social discussion becomes a habitual tool of creating a mythical speech in modern Russian society. Unexplained and undisturbed, Lenin's mummy, devoid of life and meaning, occupies the central place, literally, in the Russian Federation. 
Until 1990, the fall of the Soviet Union, its existence and location was borderline absurd, yet justified by the ruling system's loyalty to Leninism. After the formal collapse of the USSR, the formaldehyde-soaked corpse of a political criminal in the middle of the central square of the country took on a new reverse mirror meaning of no meaning, an ideal simulacrum. It established the natural order of the world that was no more. There is a sumulacrological uh, logic to this seemingly inexplicable presence. The myth, cons the myth consumer is fed a natural, unquestionable order of things. Facts. The mummy in the coffin has always been there. It is a part of the history of the country, just as the Kremlin wall behind it, just as the ruler of, in the Kremlin, a Tsar or the party. An ancient Egyptian perceived the pyramids and the pharaoh's mummy and sacrophagus uh, in a f similar way is granted and unchangeable as part of reality. A modern Christian perceives the bloodied dead body of Jesus Christ nailed to the cross as the natural reality. For a Muslim, Jewish, or Aboriginal child or a pagan never exposed to the Christian symbolism or the ancient history museum, both the crucifix and the mummy are equally unnatural and terrifying. To the myth consumers, the replication of the image makes it familiar, accepted, and integrated. Such is the power of myth. In social discourse, the, myth the mythification of the object is a continuous process. The mummy, in empty form, shrouded by silence, is recycled by the new regime with the same intention to respect orthodoxy, discipline, and unity appropriated by the communist parties, but with a nuance. Over the course of Putin's reign, Russia takes course inward. Uh, Russia takes course towards theocracy. The Russian Orthodox Church restores its lost power. A piously religious, God-fearing society emerges with its own inquisition and fanatics. The dead body of the main heretic of all times, an outdated, outcultured object next to the token St. Basil's Cathedral, pushes the modern Russian reality into the realm of absurd. In the triumphant spiral trajectory of simulacrology, it once again becomes the sanctified symbol of nothing. Enter Blue Rider, mausoleum, a sacral vessel of the holy relics of communism is the mythical object chosen by Blue Rider for its most infamous performance. Location, location, location. And I'm going to play this. We'll see what we can uh, hear. Uh, let's see. As you can see in the 52nd video, which I'm playing now, uh, artists Oleg Basov and Evgeny Avalo sprinkle holy water on the mausoleum, shouting, Get up and go away. Uh, Dumitskaya was later quoted by the AFP news agency as saying that the aim of the performance was to demolish the myth that Lenin lives forever by attempting to resurrect him on the Epiphany holiday just as Lazarus was raised from the dead. Orthodox Christians in Russia celebrated Epiphany that day, marking the baptism of Jesus in the Orthodox Church. For this action, artists spent 10 days in jail in a cell for political opposition leaders. For more details and an interview with uh, Evgeti Avalov, read my Medium article, uh, Blood and Watercolor on Paper. And for more detailed an uh, analysis, an article, uh, Painting in Blood in Anthropology Now. 
uh, here, and the author is going to apply Bartha's method, slightly simplified for the purposes of this article to interpret exorcism at the mausoleum. It's fun. The concept, the power of the Soviet Union, of the communist ideas, and the form, a mummy of the ruler, create a simple and obvious symbol, immortality, a magical power granted to the ruler, a godlike nature of the ruler of Russia. The myth is produced and destroyed at once due to its simplicity. Just bear with me and brace yourself for some graphic and visceral imagery. Strip the meaning away from the form, and the mummy is unmasked from any historical symbolism. Literally. It is just dried yellow tissue, fake hair, wax. The deciphering of the myth. Disgusting? Quite. But, but Mary, meaning, and form lends dead body and the Soviet Union history and face the ever-present, ever-recurring death and revival of the Soviet Empire. Read the myth, live the myth, and here we are, living it. And that's what the Blue Riders artists did. They created more meanings and more forms through performing the ritual. In their resistance, they became the part of the meta-language of the myth. They surrendered to the system. The myth used their very action to signify opposition, while the artists created their own myth of oppression, political struggle, and victimization. So did they just use each other, and we, the audience, are also being used and abused in our innocence? I don't think so. In this action, Blue Rider took the simple protest deeper and thus defeated the myth by myth, mythifi mythifying it. They produced a fake myth by applying the religious ritual to pseudo-religious symbol. According to Dumitskaya, they destroyed pathos by pathos. Basov, in his interview to, to Furfer, commented, we demythified the, the mausoleum as a satanic tool used for enslaving the masses. I can almost see the shadow of the ghost grinning in this non-existent mirror. Such is the dual or multiple nature of the mythology making. We just need to check ourselves uh, at all times. Uh, Slavov Zizek in The Sublime Object of Ideology, points out that the sacred objects often used for creating myths, God, the nation, the people. According to Zizek, these, myths ob these myth objects do not refer to any material objects or clear concepts. The political intention takes over their literal sense, obscures its real, non-existent meaning. Like mummies, sac uh, simulacrum does not hide truth. It hides the absence of truth. The granite pyramid contains evaporated history. So does the Roman tomb in the emptied palace of the dead Tsar. The core of the matter is always vacuum, void, antimatter. The artists of Blue Rider used the holy water of the Russian Orthodox ritual to sanctify the mausoleum, perform exorcism, and, once again, revive Russia and themselves. The act of heretic exorcism performed on the mummified remains of the destroyer of the church by the new generation of believers becomes an object of Putin's Russia myth. Again, the abuser and victim are deeply involved. The Meat Grinder and Holy Ribbons on May 8th, the Moscow Security Services destroyed an art exhibition, and they have a link to more information about that, 
The police and undercover security services forces broke into the gallery and confiscated the art, detained the artist, and sealed the space. Among the confiscated objects was a sculpture, a meat grinder with tiny with toy soldiers falling into the opening and yellow and black striped ribbon, so-called St. George's ribbon, streaming out of it. Once again, the choice of the materials is critical here. This time, the power revives a dead, empty symbol through a ritual. The black and orange gold-striped ribbon became extremely popular in Russian, uh, in, in Russia during the last seven years after the campaign uh, St. George's Ribbon, initiated by the state-owned news channel RIA in 2005 and funded by the state and local governments. In six years, about 50 million free ribbons were distributed throughout the world. Every year around Victory Day, the ribbon appears in, on labels, uh, belts, cars, buildings, furniture, and even vodka bottles all over Russia. This mythical object arrived with a slogan, I remember, I am proud, and instructions lined out in a document called Code of St. George's Ribbon. It starts with a disclaimer. The action is non-political. The purpose of the campaign defined as the creation of a symbol of the day of victory. St. George's Ribbon is a symbolic ribbon, a replica. The code itself is a remarkable language object of the myth, with the use of emotionality, um, of, with the use of emotionally heavyweight words like respect, the fallen on the battlefield, unbroken spirit, the people, great, patriotic, and importantly, sacrifice. According to Sergei Osh Oshakin, an associate professor of anthropology and Slavic languages and literature and director of the program in Russian, East European and Russian studies at Princeton University, public recollections of the great patriotic war were not recollections, but the emotions about the war of people who had no direct connection with the war, a form of indirect accommodation or contextualization of oneself with the past so as to create some sort of emotional relation with it. The popularity of the Ribbon of St. George showed the strong need for the public demonstration of one's affiliation to a certain community. People need readable symbols, but which are, strictly speaking, non-legible. The Ribbon has no proper history, no proper narrative. It is not a piece of history, it is a symbol of a material bond. The analysis of the objects chosen by the government for this campaign provides another glimpse into mythology. The ribbon is named after St. George, one of the most prominent military saints in the Christian tradition. Its colors and patterns symbolize the death and revival of the hero. Three black stripes for death, two orange gold for resurrection. <clears throat> the saint's historical prototype, a Roman soldier, was de decapitated in in 303 AD after being tortured on a wheel of swords and resuscitated three times uh, for his refusal to give up his Christian faith in exchange for prosperity and life. This is not an obvious association with St. George in the Russian Orthodox tradition, though. An armed rider slaying the many-headed hydra is one of the most popular subjects of the Russian Orthodox icons. The defeated beast is an allegory of paganism, Satan, and simply a collective enemy. The image translates into the victory of good over evil. 
An individual wearing the the rib uh, an individual wearing this wearing the ribbon bestows on himself its magical qualities, the heroic powers and supernatural quality. It is another transformative ritual. First empty and meaningless, the ribbon will suck on the individual's past memories and eventually identity. Like a military uniform, it will then turn a person into a unit of the crowd a faceless member of the collective, or, in other words, cannon fodder. It is not an automatic process. The myth will draw on his or her own familiar mythology, on the collective memory of older generations, the era he or she was born relative to the war, and from the gap in time that passed since that era. In other words, on personal and collective history. Eventually, the individual wearing the ribbon will become one of the myth uh, will become one with the myth of the ribbon. He will consume the myth and become a mythical object himself, as if by magic, a part of God, the nation, the people narrative, drowning to sacred objects like revival, strong faith, loyalty to the church, self-sacrifice that do not refer to any clear concepts. There is another important aspect to this myth. St. George became the symbol of faith and a war against the pagans under the Christian emperor Constantine the Great, a founder of the Byzantine Empire. Second Rome, up, Second Rome. Upon the creation of the Russian state, St. George, depicted on the Russian coat of arms, became the symbol of Moscow as the Third Rome. In 1858, Tsar Alexander II introduced an imperial Russian flag displaying colors of the Byzantine Empire. Black is the color of the Russian double-headed eagle, the symbol of the state head, national stability and strength. The inviolability of the borders and of the existence of the Russian nation. Gold yellow, the color of the Byzantine flag, is a symbol of spirituality, aspiration to moral perfection and fortitude. White is the color of purity and eternity of St. George's selfless sacrifice to his country for the Russian land, which was always puzzled, fascinated, and frightened foreigners. And so more non-political meanings are, f are forced into the form of the ribbon, victorious crusades against the unfaithful, and the revival of Moscow, the Third Rome. Suddenly, the saint becomes a Russian occupant. The meat grinder confiscated by police is a perfect representation of not just a propaganda conveyor line and the fodder meat factory of war, but of the whole myth-making mechanism. Privates, warriors, meaning, breathing, and living matter are objectified, depleted of their souls, individuality, and content. They are deconstructed and processed into fabric, fake, flat, empty, form-filled, with, pol with political content and replicated 50 million times. The choice of food processing, cooking equipment, creates a powerful association between human sacrifice and cannibalism. No wonder the Ministry of Culture of the Russian Federation called it abominable moral ugliness. The RENTV labeled the event as Nazi Oleg Basov answered these allegations on... Uh, Oleg Basov answered these allegations on Radio Svoboda. St. George's ribbon, minced meats falling out of the meat grinder, is our commentary on the replication of the symbol of victory. The Blue Rider Manifesto echoes almost quoting Bartha 
when a heroic deed is being turned into cult and is replicated, its meaning disappears. St. George Ribbon marks pro-government minded fans of the official TV channels. We won the World War II, and today the outcome of this discourse is the restoration of totalitarianism with a mixture of orthodox fundamentalism. Conclusion. Thus, power and resistance are constantly mimicking and reflecting each other by hiding meaning and seeking forms, in weaving and interweaving endless myths, engaging with each other in half-wrestling, half-erotic embrace, each adding to the modern Russia myth, meta-language, and eventually becoming one. The Kremlin is creating it, its myth of sacral holy power ruler. People by using materials and space of religion and history, the artists are creating their own myths by performing cleansing and revival rituals in sacral, holy, physical, and metaphysical spaces and using mythical objects pertaining to these rituals. In folklore, bathing, boiling, washing, or being sprayed by the magic water signifies resurrection or reinvention of the hero. The hero is mutilated, cut in pieces, and dissected prior to the reviving ritual. Osiris-like, or reborn, as in baptism. Once revival has happened, uh, the hero often is elevated to the status of a holy person, a saint. Sacrifice is another magic object of the Russian myth, myth meta-language. By distributing millions of St. George's ribbons and embracing Christianity, Kremlin seeks to pr provoke unexplained and unexplicable love, the miraculous love of a sacred nature, a sacrificial deed of St. George. Each act of resistance or street art performance in modern Russia brings risk of physical violence, torture, or public or physical death, a sacrifice offered by the artists. Is it possible that by sacrificing the freedom of their artistic choice and engaging in passionate discourse with the power, the artists perform the cleansing and reviving ritual for the whole society? In indigenous American tribes like Hopi and Navajo, the clowns play an important role of social doctors, using laughter and mockery, along with ancient rituals to improve the social life. Blue Rider artists refer to themselves as meta-holy fools, buffoons. Uh, as I have quoted, Pussy Riot, Nadia Tolokanova noted, we are looking for genuineness and simplicity, and we found them in the holy foolishness of our punk performances. Passion, openness, and naivety are superior to hypocrisy, cunning, and a contrived decency that conceals crimes. Bartha writes that we constantly draft, drift between the object and its demythification, powerless to render its wholeness. For if we penetrate the object, we liberate it, but we destroy it. And if we acknowledge its full weight, we respect it, but we restore it to a state which is still mythified. And yet, this is what we must seek, a reconciliation between reality and men, between description and explanation, between object and knowledge. Uh, yeah. So, that is one hell of an article. Uh, that's a lot to think about. So, uh, we're going to take a bit of a music break here, and then we'll be back with some more.
welcome back. That was some more Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, like in, I'm digging the the juxtaposition of uh, got some Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then some articles that are blowing my mind. Uh, oof. Okay, so moving onwards, here's another article that uh, Zarina sent, and this is uh, as Zarina wrote: uh, "Scandal, insanity, art, language." Uh, Questions about a frozen chicken in vagina, group sex in museum, and other performing art actions of Pussy Riot and Voina. In this article, I give a brief commentary on the most scandalous performances, actions of Pussy Riot and Voina art collectives. Important. I do not represent Pussy Riot, Voina, or any other groups or organizations. I wrote it in 2012, just after the PR trial for uh, Whore Magazine, issue four, and worked on it with San Francisco indie darling and journalist and performer Ginger Murray. Whore went on hiatus at that time, and the article just sat in my articles folder, although I work on it a bit. Uh, I am sharing it on Medium as the first article of the Arts Protest Project as I find these facts relevant to the forthcoming Pussy Riot show. Art Protest Movement. In August 2012, three young women, the members of an art collective, Pussy Riot, were sentenced to two years in prison for recording a punk rock video uh, at the altar of the main church of Moscow in protest of Russian President Vladimir Putin. One was released, two, both mothers, sent to labor camps. Below is the video of the action with English subtitles of the punk prayer. All right. Uh, that's not it. <laughs> uh, one moment. Uh, put Putin away. Put Putin away. Black robe, golden epaulets. All parishioners crawl to bow. The phantom of liberty is in heaven. Gay pride sent to Siberia in chains. The head of the KGB, their chief saint, leads protesters to prison under escort. In order not to offend his holiness, women must give birth and love. Shit, shit, the Lord's shit. 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 Virgin Mary, Mother of God, become a feminist, become a feminist, become a feminist. The church's praise of rotten dictators, the cross-bearer procession of black limousines. A teacher-preacher will meet you at school, go to class, bring him money! Patriarch Gundiev believes in Putin. Bitch, better believe in God instead. The belt of the virgin can't replace mass meetings. Mary, mother of God. Uh, missed that last part. Shit, shit, the Lord, shit. Shit, shit, the Lord, shit. That is the chorus. Virgin Mary, mother of God, put Putin away. Put Putin, put Putin away, put Putin away. And there you have it. Good times. All right, moving along. Uh, it's important to note that Pussy Riot is just one of many art collectives of the art protest movement. 
Over the last decade, this movement produced vibrant, sometimes vicious, conceptual ultra-modern art. In order to show the complexity and significance of Pussy Riot's punk prayer, it is important to put it in context of this movement. Voina, which is V-O-I-N-A. Uh, Pussy Riot branched out from a larger art collective, Voina. Voina is Russian for war. Voina was founded in 2006 and by 2012 included about 60 artists, performers, and activists. In it has performed dozens of provocative and politically charged street art and conceptual art performances. More than a dozen criminal cases have been brought against the group. Voina's mission is to protest the existing Russian government and totalitarian, totalitarian regime through art. Says Alexei Plusser Sarno, one of Voina's leaders, we just express what we feel in our insane art language, which is as absurd as the reality that surrounds us. All our actions have political underlying messages. We speak in images, symbols, which are mostly visual. We don't use language of political journalism. In the current socio-political situation in Russia, an honest artist uh, can't be mute and make glamorous masterpieces for oligarchs. Uh, Voina's mission reminds me of the original definition for avant-garde. Both Italian and Russian futurists, for instance, believed that art, controversial, provocative, and often aggressive in content and form, was aimed in aimed to disturb the comfort of mainstream mentality, bring awareness to the masses, and thus create the foundation for a movement that would lead to radical social, political, and economic changes. To me, Pussy Riot and Voina are real avant-garde, belligerently nonconformist, fiercely anti-mainstream, raw art in content and form. Why did they snatch the chicken? The infamous chicken act by Voina, a woman stuffing a whole frozen chicken into her vagina in a supermarket, is a perfect example of the use of the art language to, to express the underlying political messages. Snatching a chicken is a multi-layered metaphor. The art performance has two titles, Why Did They Snatch the Chicken? or What is to be Done? What is to be Done is the title of a novel by a Russian activist and writer, Cherniskevsky, arrested and confined during Tsarist times for his pamphlet address to peasants. His message sounds painfully familiar these days when Putin has usurped the power and the masses stay passive and oblivious to the oppression. During the art performance, the participants recited absurdist poems and folk ditties. I gave birth to a chicken. Will they fuck us until when? Voina, have some chicken. My dead country is dozing. This art performance is a wake-up call. Every Russian child knows the fairy tale of the golden uh, cockerel by Pushkin. The cockerel wakes up the sleeping army as the king is too stupid to rule the country. The Golden Cockerel, the opera by Rimsky-Korsakov, was banned by the last Tsar in 1907. In addition to its political message, the art performance targeted the modern consumers. Obsessed by their lust for material goods, the consumers are ready to forget all moral and ethical values, thus becoming easy victims of a totalitarian regime. As for... The choice of the extreme art medium, one of the artists noted, modern art actively uses iconography. Uh, the angle of an icon is a frontal attack, amplified by the reverse perspective. 
politely, it dumps on the observer the inflamed innards of a martyr. So I'm going to stop here. Our guest is here. Put on some music, and then we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back uh, momentarily. I'll play some uh, good uh, instrumental music to just uh, mellow the mood a little bit, and then we'll be back very soon. Welcome back. We're here with uh, Zarina Zabriskie. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Roman. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I love Mutiny Radio and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, definitely. So you're, you'll be hosting um, a conversation with Pussy Riot uh, this coming Wednesday at the Warfield. Yes, that's correct. Well, hosting is probably not exactly correct. I'm just moderating the talk. I was invited um, totally came out of blue somebody emailed me and asked me if i would like to do it and i wouldn't moderate just any talk in fact i haven't moderated any talks before because i'm not a talker i'm a writer yes and um but i really admired pussy riot uh, yes. group and what they did uh and what they endured for that so i thought it would be very interesting to have such a conversation yes yeah excellent um, so, uh, we talked, talked a little bit like offline, um, 
I, I definitely had a few uh, questions and which you answered, but perhaps we can talk about yeah, them here yeah, on the please, air. Yeah, go ahead. There were and, excellent and questions. And so one was, one was uh, how did you become involved with it, uh, being involved with that uh, occurrence happening? Uh, yeah, so um, I've been always completely apolitical, which is very common for for a Russian, former Russian person. I do not consider myself Russian anymore. I've been in America for 20 years, but I grew up in Russia and came to be and formed in Russia. Um, and we kind of gave up on anything there. I never voted in my life. Mm. Uh, I have my own view about that. And uh, uh, all views change when you move countries and yes. just as you change, but that still uh, hasn't changed. But a major, major um, change came for me when Pussy Riot did their punk prayer and then were put to trial. Yes. And I was kind of reluctant to look into that because a priori any protest against the government in Russia, against the security system there, um, is destined to fail. Uh, but still, it was so heroic and so honest and then these girls were so young and they reminded me of myself when mm. I was that age, I was just taking drugs. Yeah. Me and my friends, we shot heroin and uh, basically shot anything we could find uh, that was shootable and not shootable. And now I understand more and more after living a life and writing a life about it, I understand that we were just trying to escape. Sure. Were drugs easily accessible where you were? fairly easy yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it was doable so that that was our answer because everything else was it was dead end it was dark but uh, they inst they could have done that too but mm -hmm. instead they put together this collective and they were proactive and they did things and i admired them i, I was totally blown away and when i realized that there was no protest happening in san francisco and there were protests happening around the world on the yeah. 17th of august of 2012 the mm -hmm. day of trial the, yes. the, the final sentence uh i i just put the event on facebook and invited anyone i knew and people came Americans came. Yeah. Russians were kind of dubious about it. They mm. still are. I, I had a few friends that I made there who yes. came, and we became very close, good friends. We still maintain very dear to my heart relationship. But there were very few. At the protest at the Russian consulate, they were all Americans, and I was mm. very moved because I said, like, what are these girls to Americans? They, they're fine here. Nobody arrests them. You know, they, you have to do something really outstanding to be arrested. Oh, you can be arrested, but you won't be put to prison for three years, you know, for such offense, for protesting Obama. I mean, nobody cares. You know, you can walk around with the post all you want. Nobody will even look at you. But... Um, so uh, that's what happened. And ever since, kind of very reluctantly, I was covering some events or writing about them. Somehow in the writer's community in San Francisco, that is independent writer's community in San Francisco, I turned out to be the main Russian expert. I don't know how. <laughs> I mean, God knows I'm a poet and a writer. But so it went. So I guess I have something in me that won't let me put it to rest. And so 
I'm this reluctant human rights activist that is <laughs> not really an activist. I don't want to be. It just yes. like every time I'm pushed into it. Yes, yes. And th- that's where I find myself again on this Wednesday, <laughs> forthcoming Wednesday. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of talking about the differences between like uh, America and, and Russia, like I was one question I had was why is there no such thing as like a pussy riot kind of activist there are activists here in this country but nothing that feels comparable well when when i was doing my research actually there are some but they don't get such um uh huge popularity or um because there are so many i see for one thing there are guerrilla girls yes oh yeah 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 and i read some of the interviews i actually wrote to them and asked them if they have any questions to pussy right and they didn't answer yeah and there's i didn't study quite a bit but there's a pink code pink there there are yeah oh yes yeah i I mean the multiple groups in mexico there's a group the uh, Daughters of Violence, I think, or something like this in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. Uh, there are groups like this. But uh, the f- Russian phenomenon is that people there, by now, the majority of people are so brainwashed. Mm. Um, it, it is really a different world. And for, for that society to produce such an active, free-thinking group of young people uh, is very unusual while you know being a radically minded uh, human rights activist in San Francisco it's not that you know like who is not show me someone who is not I mean like all our friends right uh, uh, will be there out in the streets protesting anything in a wink but there it, it is a phenomenon it's something very rare and also there is something to really protest. There, that's where the, I feel the cardinal difference. It's in mentality because the population there was brainwashed by the hundreds of years of the Soviet propaganda machine and then Putin's propaganda machine, which came out of that Soviet institution. And I wrote about it and translated some articles um, about the details of how does it work, because I actually was forced to study uh, propaganda, the combat propaganda in university. I wrote about it. Um, uh, I I was studying English and American literature, but uh, I had to complete the course in military propaganda uh, and we were writing pamphlets, American soldiers surrender, you're surrounded, and stuff like that. Um, so I know how it works. And people were really brainwashed uh, by mass media. It's sponsored by the government. It's multi-billion dollar machine mm-hmm. that works very smoothly. And it is very smart. It's, it is not a dumb um, simplistic machine. It uses the best neurological science, and it will brainwash anyone. It will brainwash you, Roman, if oh, you sure. go there or me. So, um, for the for the, when you if you go to Russia, you go in a completely different world. I haven't been for the last ten years, and I'm not going to until Putin is out yeah. and there are complete changes in 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 the society because I, I find it dangerous toxic poisonous and I had enough of that um, so uh, here we do have diversity we do have pluralism we do have freedom of speech and I know that there are some limitations but I'll give you an example um, one of my articles on medium which is independent forum right I post what I want mm-hmm. um, 
that I wrote uh, actually three years ago during the trial of Pussy Riot, mm -hmm. the, the scandal, the, the insanity art language. It has some photographs of a group sex in a museum, which was an yeah. art act. I explained what it meant. Mm -hmm. It has certain logic to it. You know, it's conceptual art, arts resistance. So... If you don't know this vocabulary, just a bunch of people, one of them pregnant, having sex. Mm -hmm. uh, and it could be shocking for a lot of people either here or there. And it was totally shocking there. Mm -hmm. uh, but it caused an interesting reaction here while I uh, posted this article on Medium. First, the Warfield marketing um, company managers mm -hmm. uh, were all up for it. And they put it up. And a lot of people were reading it. Uh, but then... I suppose what happened, the, the Russian trolls or people here who really don't want Pussy Riot to come because they've been writing in the event and they want to put together a protest against <laughs> Pussy Riot, uh -huh. that they uh, complained to Facebook reporting this article mm -hmm. as inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And so what happened, poor, poor, war f innocent, war-filled managers who host Pussy Riot, but they also host I don't know, Justin Bieber and people. I think Justin Bieber is far more offensive than I, anything Pussy Riot's ever done. I don't know done. who he is, to be honest. That's I just good. saw the name. I yeah. don't watch any television, yeah. listen, uh, you know. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, they, they host anyone. That's yeah. their job. They, they do marketing. Fair enough with their accounts, social media accounts were about to be closed. I guess they were closed for a couple of hours oh, wow. or something like this because of my article. They didn't like me very much. They said, well, Zarina, please put your articles down because the, you know we, we need our social media account for our job. And I respect that. That's fine. Uh, and I said, you know, I, I'm not going to censor myself in America. That's what I said. You know, these people just went to prison yes. for the freedom of uh, speech. You are hosting them. I am not going to put my article down. Yeah. But we can take them out of your events. And I wrote a disclaimer that there's no association with the war field, with any group whatsoever, just me. Just mm -hmm. Serena Zabriskie writing her own opinion. And I was fine, you know, like, I, I, I mean, nobody came to my house with a big gun or uh, nobody uh, threatened to twist my arm and nobody threatened. And that's the difference because there it yeah. happens on a regular basis. If you express your opinion, which is different from the governmental line uh, or trying to do a show, for example, that does not appeal to the Ministry of Culture, the show will be taken down, like our what we're doing now. Yes. There will be somebody from San Francisco mayor's office coming here and saying, Roman, we don't like that. You need to stop. And Mutiny Radio is closed. That's the difference. As you can see, it's very <laughs> big difference, yeah, right? Yeah. And so there, here we can uh, work on some details and say that we're not represented equally or debate whether, you know, women or men or minority or gender, age, whatever. But we have this debate. That's right. what I'm trying to tell people. Hello, we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, so they don't allow any room for discussion at all. There's no room. For, there's room in discussion in prison. Uh. That Because this person that I'm writing an article about now, and it's also kind of controversial, but he went to prison for just solitary uh, demonstrations at solitary protests, standing by himself, holding a poster with an article from Constitution. He's going to prison for three years for that. 
There is a difference yeah. between Russia and yeah. America, right? Yeah, I would say, though, that there is, like, the police force, I think, just based on, like, there was a, a protest on Wednesday, and there was a person who was taking uh, photos. There was, like, there were snipers on the roof. This was just, like, an anti, like, let's not mistreat homeless folks during right, the protest. I know, of course. And there was a yeah. person who was a- arrested for that. Yeah. And I think he, uh, people were saying that was, he was profiled because he was black. So I think there is also, there is this, uh, the police do end up pointing out people to mistreat. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's due to happen in any society. Society is the instrument of order, right? Any society. Yeah. I mean, even the most democratic. There is there is pluralism and chaos, read chaos, you know, the democracy, and there's the order. And there's it's all about the proportion and the balance and uh, how in control we are as people or citizens of our order. You see, like what happens in Russia and the other totalitarian societies, the order takes over. Mm-hmm. There's nothing but order. There's nothing outside of order. I mean, I, I hate to bring it as an example, but over and over again, but it's matrix. It is the matrix, and you are in it, and there is no space outside of it, or you are there out there somewhere floating <laughs> in the ragged clothes. Uh, and here we are balancing it. Yeah, there are bad policemen. Yeah, there is the same psychological problems between the force uh, and between the uh, uh, domination and the submission, but it's, a human, it's human nature. It's all about the ratio of it. I, I feel, and I have to say it for it, and I came to it while living here for 20 years. I wasn't the biggest fan of America, I just happened to be here. Mm-hmm. But I, through living here, through raising my children here, through going through immigration and naturalization process, uh, I happen to have a lot of respect for this country. It's a gigantic country. It's very hard to rule it. It's much easier to criticize it. Sure. And if you have the other example back always as a shadow on your head, yes. you have respect. I Well, I never have any respect for any authority. I disrespect authority. Yes. But at least here you can talk to it. Authority is you. You know, it could be overthrown. There it cannot. That's the difference, well, in my opinion. I see. Well, that's, that's a lot to think about. I've never been. I've Two of my grandparents were, were born in Russia. Oh, I've yeah, never, where? I have never been. Um, yeah. Just like small towns that were kind of decimated yeah, right. during the war. Yeah. So I feel like when I have When did some, they come here, do you know? Like early 1900s. Yeah, like so a lot of people. Bef- yeah. They were smart. These were the Jews, right? Yeah. They were smart Jews. See, my ancestors were dumb Jews, <laughs> and they stayed. <laughs> and I had to stay there and leave. I mean, they paid for it. I mean, a lot of people died through the revolution, yes. through the war, yeah. through pogroms. And, you yeah. Know. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's something else just to think about in terms of like I think about with like ancestry and like where to go back to and like I was born in the States certainly yeah. but there is that sense of where where am I from and like where to go back to and I don't feel like I could go back to I don't have family there certainly no. yet that's where some of my ancestors lived so I have a complicated relationship y- you with know it. Uh, I don't have any advice for anyone in this world even for my own children but um I have a thought regarding this uh like, I was born there and raised there. I don't have any more family left there. But I can't go back because what I'll find there is not my country. Yes. It is a foreign alien, I would say, world, which is alien to me in my beliefs, in my um, feelings, in everything, in my skin. I yeah. feel that it is a- an alien world to me. Um, but 
what I feel is my country and my place is uh, literature, Russian literature. Yeah. So if you want to revisit your roots, I recommend oh, yeah. borrowing books from the library. And if you read um, anywhere from the beginning, Pushkin or just, you know, more uh, habitually, Dostoevsky or Tolstoy yeah, yeah, yeah. or Chav or Turgenev, here you go. That's that's the roots. Or Shalom Aleichem for, for us yeah. Russian Jews. Uh, it, it's there. Yeah. What you'll find there now is some the new you know offspring of something that we don't know what you find in literature i feel is that's where your ancestors are coming from oh right on well, well, <laughs> here you go that's awesome <laughs> anybody yeah. else wants any <laughs> kind of <laughs> guidelines sure, sure. <laughs> psychic zarina yeah. <laughs> the mutinous <laughs> yeah. so did you face like anti-semitism when you were there oh yeah well i, I mean uh, in fairness, uh, I, I never was uh, murdered. That's a funny thing to say. <laughs> Apparently, I'm sitting here. But I was beaten up. Uh, but I'm not an easy person to be beaten up because I, I fight back. So I was. Uh, it's f fair to say that I was in a lot of fights. Yeah. And um, I, I learned a lot of my life lessons from my father. And he taught me... Uh, to fight back mm -hmm. and because I was a pretty violent child sometimes I would start to fight myself yeah. <laughs> so if somebody would tell me which happened pretty often go back to your Israel you're just you know minding your business and going to buy bread but your nose is different and they could always tell mm. uh, and they would tell you like go back to Israel and the next thing they know I'm kicking you know and <laughs> using my face to to show them who wh where I belong, which is now I feel is not necessarily the wisest, the brightest, or the uh, most convincing way of doing it. But I have to say that it could be different because one time when I was with my baby daughter and my dog at the beach at the cottage house in the village, and I've been sent, you know, I've been wished to go to Israel, and I started to to hit, and they called cops, and the cops came, and they were just this ordinary village cops. And they said, like, so what's your problem? Yeah, you offended her and you got what you deserved. Huh. Go, go ahead, just like <laughs> hit more. So, um, yeah, and also there was this daily anti-Semitism when people would say something like, oh, you're good. I mean, I like you, you're my friend, but other Jews, they are. Or, or with a Jewish name, or especially with a Jew written in your passport, um, you couldn't really get certain jobs or uh, get into certain colleges, whatever was prestigious. Like my father, who refused to join the Communist Party and was a Jew, uh, he could never proceed with his career. He was professor at the Academy of Arts, mm -hmm. but he could never, say, be the head of the department. I see. So there was, and everybody knew that, and you had to accept certain things, or you had to leave. Like my uncle and my aunt, they left because they could. There was a ceiling, there was, you couldn't. Was it more because there wasn't a communist, or because it was Jewish? The, uh, the oh, uh, both. Yeah. But if he was a communist and a Jew, yeah. he would have more chances. But there still would be a stop at some point. It's pretty medieval. I don't know how it is now. But, you know, I suspect that it couldn't have changed that much yeah. because it's so deeply ingrained. It's like this lurking, it's racism, right? It's like yeah. this lurking racism that is always there. Like, I think about with all the, the anti-gay 
propaganda oh that as well yeah 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 i mean that is there is like the whole entire level of homophobia in fact the other day i was just helping a friend uh who escaped from there an activist and an artist and i was helping him to translate at the lawyer's interview it was a for his political asylum and the stories he would he was telling you know like the people again beaten up severely losing their eyes losing their limbs and there's like the the level of horror stories we don't want to go into and actually pussy riot (coughs) i feel has have been consistent because as they step out of the prison they keep standing up for for the lgbt rights Mm -hmm. or for the prisoners rights uh it is more difficult for them now and this is something i would like to discuss with them when they hear they're open to that because it was one thing to go through this one deed like action loud one you know throw it throw the glove into the face but now is there becoming somewhat of an establishment element here mm. in the West and they're meeting Hillary Clinton. Oh. They own some they were they did huh. and they were on some TV. I don't watch television so I don't know but they were on some big show. Oh. I, I I'm really bad. I never watch television. I only watch friends with my kids. That's the only show because I can give them massages when we do that. Mm-hmm. So I know friends very well. I don't know any other T V shows. Um so, but there is some hung- something where uh, the Pussy Riot showed up, looking mm-hmm. quite um, fashionable, and mm-hmm. uh, and now they just the other day, yesterday, in fact, they released a new video. Yeah, I- I'm j- just about to put on a new article about it. It's a very interesting video. It is released by Hollywood, oh. and it's they are not wearing masks, uh, and it is completely different type of um act or music it's not much of a music i think it's hip-hop-ish uh it still has a political message but the aesthetics of it is very questionable and also uh, my question is and they might not like me for this question but i'm not there to be liked i'm a complete stranger i I don't they they are not paying me yeah i don't even get any free tickets not even for my boyfriend or for my son i I hope i can get in you know i i'm not you know and i'm not asking i don't want any because i want to be completely independent sure sure uh so my question is like well they are touring the United States, because they have a show in Chicago, in Seattle, in Los Angeles, here in Portland. It's a lot of money. Yeah. I want to know what are they doing with this money. Mm-hmm. It's completely their right to use the money the way they want. But I'm wondering, because they are going to talk about human rights. Yes. They are going to talk about the p- state of affairs in prison. Uh, and while they do have to support themselves and their children... I don't know if it's ethically right to live on that money. You know how we all here in San Francisco as writers and artists have day jobs? Yes. And yeah. then we do our yep. indie thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually holding up to it. I, d- I don't want 
to be in there. Not that anybody invited me, but if they would, I don't want to because I want to have a freedom. Right. I don't want to depend on anyone or being uh, bought by anyone, even by consumers' funds. I prefer to be, well, it's my own preference. Again, I'm not imposing it on anyone. I respect people's choices. That's democracy. But I want to know what they are doing with that. Yeah. Because they're certainly very popular. It's been an eye-opener ever since somebody, some person, I don't know, invited me to do that. The amount of emails, Roman, I got asking for free tickets, oh. meeting Pussy Riot for drinks, entertaining them, invitation from people I hardly know to go and visit them in small towns in California and outside, and you can come, or if you can, just send them over, and I'm sure <laughs> our community will be thrilled Whoa. to see Pussy Riot. And it was like, wow. really? You hardly even know these people. The celebrity status yes. Yes. is something, I, I don't know, I'm not a celebrity, so I never, my friends are not, yeah. you know, we're yeah. all celebrities know each other <laughs> so but it's a different level of um being i think and mentality and i wonder how do they cope with that and what do they do with that yeah it's not a bad thing per se i think it could be a very good thing yeah but i wonder how do you handle that right it's what do you do with that like i think i think about like people in in hollywood who have gone out like paul newman for instance who like opened up his own like food company and it's all everything gets donated to charity for instance where you can yeah. use your your wealth or your uh celebrity to then go on and help people yeah how do you balance especially especially i think it is an obligation if you made your name on the human rights issue yeah. if you made your name i don't know like madonna singing like a virgin totally cool build your palace i respect that yeah. i mean like i don't know for me personally again it's just my opinion integrity is important yes but i completely lost it for gogol bordella you know gogol bordella yeah, they're, yeah. they're awesome musicians and i love their drive i've been to their concerts and danced away super cool and then during the trial of pussy ride they they were in moscow performing and they refused to comment on their fellow punk rockers huh. in prison while they were singing all this, because I understand Russian, they mix Russian and English. Yeah. There's this freedom-loving lyrics that sound so cool and you feel your heart beating, you know, you're with them, you want to go fight those totalitarian dogs, and then you're not, I think you have an obligation. Yeah. Or don't do that. Be... I don't know, I'm so bad with pop music, but be Britney Spears. I don't feel like Britney Spears or Lady Gaga mm -hmm. are obliged to comment on Pussy Riot. They've no. chosen their path in life. They're doing their own thing. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but that's their thing. That's yeah. the beauty of the uh, of America's free society. Do what you want, be yourself. But some integrity for me is very important. Yes, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, but I'm never sure about whether I'm right or not. I'm always figuring out more and more. I think everyone, I feel like I, every day I'm constantly challenged and like being corrected on things, which I enjoy. Like I would hate just to go through life and to think the same things every day and to yeah. hold. Yeah. There's, I definitely have uh, a sense of how I view the world, certainly, and like a, a disdain for inequality. Yeah. And there's just but there's, there's so much more to that just in terms it's, of different types. Yeah, it's so much more complex, right? Yeah. It's not your poster cardboard equality for all. There's no such thing as all. There's no such thing 
is equality. I mean, y- y- you know, some animals are more equal than the others. There, I mean, it just there is so much complexity, so many layers, so many nuances. And if you take the nuances out of this struggle, uh, it, it becomes a cardboard flat right. and loses the, the humanity yes. in it. But if you go too much into it, sometimes you lose the struggle completely. Yep, I tell you, I mean, there's like a lot of burnout, certainly within like the activist communities. And don't, not necessarily burnouts. I don't feel burned out. I have a lot of energy and passion. Yeah. But sometimes I feel that I don't know. Like uh, my daughter and I, my daughter is visiting from England. She lives in London. And we had a conversation about the homeless people here in San Francisco. She grew up here. And she says it's much better. The situation is much better. At least it seems to be in London with their social services. And and I don't know their system very well. And uh, she was eager to offer solutions for here, for Mm -hmm. San Francisco. And I shamefully forgot right now some of her solutions but she was very concrete and but i live here i have a client my day job client who works for the organization for homeless people and i hear the insider commentary and i just know that it's not that easy yeah yeah. i I know that there are a lot of people who just like uh, actually be i mean there are all kinds there are people who just don't 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 know what to do uh, but there are people who are mentally confused sure and they are trying to remove them my clients tell me and they wouldn't move they would they like being there they so and it's a it's a problem like uh what what do do we impede their freedom do what do we i what I told my daughter, I don't have an answer. It doesn't mean yeah. that it's right or wrong to do something. I just like, I as a person, I don't have answers for everything. Yes, yes. And I don't know who does. And people who have answers for everything scare me. Yep. <laughs> but then if we don't have answers, how do we <laughs> do anything? It's a catch-22. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I feel very... I have mixed feelings about this conversation yeah. because, you know, a lot of people who ask me questions at least sound very rah-rah, you know, pussy ride, go, Putin, yeah. you know, go fuck yourself, yep. you know, yeah. Serena asks questions. And I'm more in, there is like this, <laughs> you know, burden of Russian literature sure. on my shoulders and the questions and and the, all the thoughts and self-reflection right. and almost humbleation. Well, yeah, having conversations, I feel like then answers can come from there, just from discussion and from personal experience. You know what I believe in? I, I feel, and that's why we, with my friends, we found the arts resistance. I think that I feel more than think that the answer is in the arts. Yes. Because in the arts, we seek for our truth or whatever it is intuitively. Yes. Through the psyche, not through our brain that's been socially conditioned to come up with cliches and uh, kill the nuances and offer shortcuts. And when we you know, come up with poetry or, you know, you do comedy or we do dance to prose or music, um, it opens up some resources that are there and that are not accessible otherwise. And if we can educate ourselves and the others through the arts, we probably can in the dark, you know, like this blind leading blind boss painting, maybe we can find the right way or the humane way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
I think also just having the time and the space to do that because I feel like a lot of times people are just kind of pushed around and people are overworked and exhausted so it's yeah. difficult to, to make the time it's a luxury yeah I mean it's a luxury if you say on your own or if you found a way to support yourself and yeah. your dependence but if you don't I mean like for years and years I had people that were dependent on me and I had to work eight to five and that that didn't leave that much time right of course yeah how do you solve this how, so which which part well, i mean like balancing everything the art and the survival I, I it's tricky i do feel like the the tendency to to, to burn out or to want to shut down or escape in in some regards i mean i like doing different form like whether it's writing or theater or painting yeah uh, just different forms because i feel like there's something i can just do on my own it depends on resources too in yeah. times when i don't feel like socializing like theater is great if i have a place to do it and people to perform with or for yeah however sometimes i just want to be on my own in which case drawing is great yeah i hear you i do drawing too we should do theater together we're now in the process of just the budding the next the the arts resistance theater for the uh anti-utopian theater oh. we do orwell huxley uh and pilevin and we're pretty open so we should we should oh, talk about excellent that. definitely and anybody else who's listening yeah, <laughs> uh, if you are interested we are the arts collective that is open to yeah. anyone who wants to join and bring in whatever they want to bring and we do all kinds of we do the art exhibits the theater shows poetry reading we have a translation from unrest um event coming that we're doing with san francisco state velro reading series um so there there's space for everyone to join in and just bring whatever you have that's awesome the artsresistance.com and i it's we're not promoting anything it's just an invitation yeah definitely yeah. well yeah when we, we met there was the the fundraiser here at mutiny for, for the for refugees, refugees. Yes. yeah and you were excellent so yeah it was a it was a great show yeah we didn't so. make that much money but i did i think 170 dollars was sent to the i think children the fund for children yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's. An, I mean, it's ongoing. It's. There's so many. Th I think that's something that's also is that it feels overwhelming, and I feel like there's a lot of people who would like to participate and or help, but it feels just to know that there's so much going on, whether on a local level or on a on a global level. But you know, we're lucky. That's again. Hello, Pussy Riot. They yeah. don't have that. They have some fake variety of, you know, speaking of Huxley, Brave New World. There yeah. are slogans everywhere and some kind of like aluminium looking clubs you know fakies all over but there's no real freedom to express yourself and here it's on every corner yes that's <laughs> well, lucky. true that's what i'm trying to say yeah. i feel lucky that's yeah. that's really that's that's important look we can just talk like this yeah and i come out and well i might get a parking ticket but nobody's <laughs> gonna shoot me yeah, that's that's something. Just I guess being raised here, it's something that I think a lot of us. I can speak for my. I guess I can only speak for myself, but I definitely take that for granted. Were you born in San Francisco? Uh, I was born in Oakland. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. We're very lucky here. Yeah, yeah. Still a lot of work to do to, you know, excel at yes. things. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Let's check on the. I think we got like about ten, five or ten more minutes. Oh, so yeah. yeah, if there's anything else you'd like to. Oh well, I feel we just I forgot we were on there. There's so it's <laughs> really a really good conversation. Well, we should probably yeah. we were 
we promised to cover Pussy Riot. Yes, yes. Uh, well, do you have any more questions about Pussy Riot? For I me? feel like there's uh, so much that we've already discussed that uh, I would need to think about it more before I were to... You know, on the way questions. here, I was dropping my son off at home and he's homesick from school. And I asked him, do you have any questions? Because yeah. I'm doing this radio show and he helps and participates with a lot of projects. He actually just texted me that he finished uploading on YouTube uh, uh, my coverage of... Uh, punk rock underground punk rock in russia from 80s into 90s which i did oh, two cool. years ago with tony duchene on radio valencia oh, cool. and my son helped me to put the photographs so anybody who wants to get some background on music yeah. it will be there i can send you oh, the link uh, but it's on youtube and Zarina Zabriskie, the most recent video um it's about an hour and you get this little excursion um all over the underground rock and what what is interesting here we go uh, a thing that i found out while working on this show now because then i worked on it we delivered it some people listened to it, it was all good i got drunk at the end and i sound really tipsy but now putting it together i was looking for the photographs to, yeah. to put for the video and I found out that it was right there on the surface and somehow in my nostalgia or delirium, I overlooked the fact that the so-called uh, rock club of Leningrad in the 80s, that was the most rebellious thing in yeah. Leningrad at the time. And that as a teenager, I was jumping around in and would jump in fences. I had half-shaved head and I felt so rebellious, you know, I was smoking pot and then later doing heroin. It was like the rebel of the rebel. It was actually sponsored and organized basically by the KGB huh. at the time. Because what happened, they realized that the times are changing, that there certain amount of liberty actually will work for them. Mm-hmm. And um, they put together, they, they've invited some groups that already existed, uh, but that they considered not dangerous or not dangerous enough, while some other real hardcore punk group were uh, d- declined and could not perform in this rock club. And uh, here it is, it's right on Wikipedia, it's not some secret file. And it was such a shock for me, it was just two weeks ago, and like, I couldn't believe it. Like, all my values are constantly shifting, and the uh, the amount of lies that I was raised on is becoming sicker and sicker and yes. sicker and scarier. And I understand better and better why we took the heroin. Because in fact, the only way to really rebel was to escape. Mm-hmm. To, because even the rebellion was sponsored and monitored. It is the matrix level. Imagine the twist. I'm not oh. making it up. Oh, I, I believe right you. There. I'm just trying to like. What I was really stunned, I called my boyfriend, you know, I, I don't know if you met Simon Rock, he's a poet, and I told him, and he's so sick of hearing my revelations about Russia by now. Like every week there's, oh, can you imagine? I just found out that it's like, okay, what can I do to help? And I think I need to go back to therapy because uh, apparently 12 years of therapy is not enough because each time it's a shock. But it's everything you build. Imagine like right now, yeah. you, you would suddenly find out, oh no, 10 years from now, yes. you would find out that Mutiny Radio was actually sponsored by CIA. Wow. 
that that is that's what I'm talking. That yeah. is my discovery <laughs> right there. <sighs> so anyway, that show is now on YouTube and people can see it. Pussy rides with two songs and my commentary are there as well. And um, so my son asked as his question he has tell me why do you think people in russia hate pussy riot so much and it's a very good question because they do the majority does huh. so um what i was telling my son in the car is that um the way i started the show that a lot of people of course were brainwashed yes. very skillfully yeah. by the machine uh But also, I think there is another element to it. And I think it exists in every society when there is a group of avant-garde artists. You know, you take Dada, Futurists, you know, at every time there is this scandalous uh, people who are breaking through and offending and insulting the public taste. And then something happens, and that's what what was happening now. The, the, uh, Pussy Riot really hit on the sore spot uh, by um, performing at the cathedral of uh, our Christ Savior, which was just restored for 70 years, for about 50 years after the communist revolution. It was a swimming pool because the Bolsheviks destroyed the cathedral. And there was no face, and Athens was imposed on the Russian people, as just the way later the Russian Orthodoxy was imposed back on them. So whatever uh, ideology uh, Russian people had was imposed on them from above. And that actually started from uh, Ivan the Terrible, or even from Mongol Tatar and, uh, uh, when Genghis Khan came. And so um, there's this certain inertia that is typical um, trait of Russian people. In a way, it's inevitable. Well, you know that you know, you, your arm is going to be twisted anyway. You might as well, you know, relax and accept it. What, what are you going to do? So, but they accepted the face back quite piously and ardently, and by offending their newly found religious feeling, they really hit the button, Pussy Riot. They also were performing in the area where women are not allowed, only oh, men, yes. priests are allowed, and at the, the altar. I wrote about it in my article. So it was like uh, insult on many levels. Yes. Um, and many people there didn't go in depth into their protest. The information, or the, rather just the lyrics of their words, never reached their ears or minds that there was a protest against Putin collaborating with the uh, patriarch of uh, Russian Orthodox Church, Kirill, um, because it was it happened just before the elections, and they were protesting something very concrete, because right before that, patriarch Kirill proclaimed Putin to be the uh, gift of God, Yes. Uh, therefore, um, encouraging the voters to vote for the the believers to vote for the gift of God, and it is hardly news. You know, the emperors, the the Romanovs, were using it for centuries. Or you know, the din- the royal dynasties in other country. Uh, it is it is a well known trick. So Putin just went back to what he had, and he kind of um, combined the communist practices and wisdoms with the imperial and build up on that and people ate it up uh, and and following sheepishly 
this guideline, they hated Pussy Riot for offending God, their feelings for the God, mm. their feelings for their sacred values, uh, and in their m mind, um, they, you also have to remember that Russian society is traditionally extremely patriarchal. Yeah. Um, and uh, just the fact that this suggests girls claiming that they're doing their on their own accord is already a challenge. And uh, as I wrote in my article, they've been called whores right away. Although what is whorish about their behavior, it's, it's an appropriate uh, insult. You, you know, you could come up with other um, insults, but whore means something else. Whore is somebody who is being paid for sex. And that was not anywhere near their performance, but it immediately what comes up. So that, that was the answer to the question why Russian people, now there's generally negative sentiment. There's a very, very small percentage of the Russians who, who supported them. Oh, wow. Different, huh? Definitely different. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, put on a, a Pussy Riot song to, to play us out with. Um, Thank idea. you so much for, for coming in. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Robert. Yeah. And so the show again, it's uh, Wednesday at the Warfields. And what time is it at? It's at 8 o'clock, and I do not have any free tickets. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's see here. Okay. So it'll be just a moment. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening, and thank you to Zarina for coming in, and for also for sending those the articles that you sent. Yeah. Uh, just I, I read the one about the mythology, oh, yeah. and then uh, began to read the one about the the performance art in the, uh, yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for reading it. Yeah, definitely it. a yeah. lot to think about for sure. Yeah. So everyone, uh, please uh, stay tuned for. Uh, uh, Global Vow with Women's Magazine, and keep listening to uh, uh, Mutiny Radio. I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm uh, a lot, lot going on. All right, so take care, everyone, and have a great week. Thank you.
Every time you see me, you want to mess with me. I'm tired of it. It stopped today. Why would you? Everyone standing here will tell you I didn't do nothing. I did not sell anything. Depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite. I'm gonna guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good. Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Yeah, you. You look like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Oh, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com 
with 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts, you won't want to miss a thing. What if I can't be at every show? Don't worry. All shows will be available for free download at mutinyradio.fm until the internet falls apart. Oh, podcast god, I can't wait to listen to all these great comedy shows and everything else that's cool at mutinyradio.fm before the internet falls apart. You too won't want to miss a bit of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival from March 2nd through 6th, 2016. Buy tickets now. Brought to you by Subliminal SF, PBR, The Eagle SF, Brainwash Cafe, Asiento, and the great people at Alta California Botanicals. Have you heard of Subliminal SF? Visual and auditory mind control. Graphic design, physical merchandise, live music promotions. Go! www.subliminalsf.com for the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen. Graphic design for every need and live music promotion at some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's Subliminal SF, visual and auditory mind control. Go to subliminalsf.com now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak ceiling. Yes. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> yeah. 